From the Conference Center in Salt Lake City, Utah, this is the Saturday evening session of the 193rd Annual General Conference of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, with speakers selected from leaders of the church. Music for this session is provided by a combined choir of students from the Logan, Utah Institute of Religion. This broadcast is furnished as a public service by Bonneville Distribution. Any reproduction, recording, transcription, or other use of this program without written consent is prohibited. President Dallin H. Oaks, first counselor in the first presidency of the church, will conduct this session. We welcome you to the Saturday evening session of the 193rd Annual General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We are grateful for all our members and friends, many of which will view this meeting throughout the world. The music for this session will be provided by a combined choir of students from the Logan, Utah Institute of Religion under the direction of Bryson Ashcraft, Eric Stauffer, and Alan Matthews with Linda Margetts at the organ. The choir will open this meeting by singing Hope of Israel. The invocation will then be offered by Elder Becerra Elder Jorge T. Becerra of the Seventy.
our beloved and eternal Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before Thee on this wonderful conference evening to thank Thee for the many blessings Thou hast bestowed upon us, for the opportunity to assemble together in Thy name and worship Thy Son. We love Him, Father, and we're grateful for the atoning sacrifice that He provided that each of us may return unto Thee more sanctified and purified through the words of apostles and apostles. We're grateful for them, Heavenly Father, and pray for them, and ask that we'll have the faith to follow their teachings, to make changes in our lives that will cause us to be a little better and to follow Thee more intently. This evening we pray, Heavenly Father, for the youth of the Church, even the rising generation. We pray that more young men will hear the heed and the invitation of a prophet to serve a mission and to go and teach the world the doctrine of thy Son to the end that they may participate in ordinances and live the associated covenants. Father, we are grateful to be gathered and pray that we might change through the small principle of faith, of action in our lives. These favors and blessings we pray for in the sacred name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Elder Becerra. And thank you, Logan Institute Choir, for that spirited number. You are part of the hope of Israel. The choir will now favor us with Jesus Once of Humble Birth. After the singing, we will hear from Elder Mark A. Bragg of the Seventy, and he will be followed by Brother Milton Camargo, who serves as First Counselor in the Sunday School General Presidency.
The last time I spoke in general conference, my son-in-law, Ryan, showed me a tweet that said, really, the guy's name is Bragg, meaning to boast, and he doesn't talk about humility? What a waste. (laughs) Well, sadly, the disappointment continues. My wonderful father was an All-America basketball player for UCLA under legendary coach John Wooden. They remained close throughout my father's life, and occasionally, Coach and Mrs. Wooden would come to our home for dinner. He was always happy to talk to me about basketball or anything else on my mind. Once I asked him what advice he had for me as I entered my senior year of high school. Always the teacher, he said, Your father told me that you've joined the Church of Jesus Christ, so I know that you have faith in the Lord. With that faith, be sure to have poise in every situation. Be a good man in a storm. Over the years, that conversation stuck with me, that counsel to be calm, cool, and collected in all situations, particularly in times of adversity and pressure, resonated with me. I could see how Coach Wooden's teams played with poise and the great success that they experienced winning 10 national championships. But poison isn't spoken about much these days and practiced even less in turbulent and divisive times. It's often referenced in sports. A player with poise is unflappable in a close game or a team unravels due to a lack of poise. But this wonderful quality goes way beyond sports. Poise has a much broader application to life and can can bless Uh, parents and leaders, missionaries, teachers, students, and everyone else facing the storms of life. Spiritual poise blesses us to stay calm and focused on what matters most, especially when we're under pressure. President Hubie Brown taught, Faith in God and in the ultimate triumph of right contributes to mental and spiritual poise in the face of difficulties. President Russell M. Nelson is a wonderful example of spiritual poise. One time, while performing a quadruple coronary artery bypass, the patient's blood pressure dropped suddenly. Dr. Nelson calmly assessed the situation and identified that a clamp was accidentally removed by one of the team members. It was replaced immediately, and Dr. Nelson comforted the team member, saying, I still love you. And then added jokingly, sometimes I love you more than other times. But he showed how an emergency should be handled with poise, focused on what matters most, addressing the emergency. President Nelson said, it's a matter of extreme self-discipline. Your natural reaction is, take me out, coach. I want to go home. But of course you can't. A life is totally dependent on the whole surgical team. So you've got to stay just as calm and relaxed and sharp as you ever were, end quote. Of course, the Savior is the ultimate example of poise. In the Garden of Gethsemane, in unimaginable agony, as he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood, he exemplified divine poise with the simple yet majestic statement, not my will, but thine be done. Under the immense pressure to enable the salvation of all mankind, Jesus demonstrated three important conditions that help us understand his great poise. First, he knew who he was and was true to his divine mission. Next, he knew that there was a great plan of happiness. And finally, he knew that through his infinite atonement, 
All who faithfully yoke themselves to him by making and keeping sacred covenants received through priesthood ordinances will be saved, as was so beautifully taught by Elder Renland today. To contrast the difference between losing and maintaining poise, think about what happened as Christ and his apostles left the Garden of Gethsemane. When confronted by soldiers to arrest Jesus, Peter's reaction was to lose his poise and lash out violently by cutting off the ear of the high priest's servant Malchus. But Jesus Christ's reaction, on the other hand, was to keep his poise and to bring calm to a tense situation by healing Malchus. And for those of us who struggle with maintaining our poise or perhaps have grown discouraged, consider the rest of Peter's story. A short time after this incident and the heartbreak of denying his association with Christ, he stood before the very same religious leaders who condemned the Savior, and with great poise, under intense questioning, he bore eloquent testimony of the divinity of Jesus Christ. Let's consider elements of Christ-like poise. To begin, knowing who we are and being true to our, true to our divine identity brings calm. Christ-like poise requires that we avoid comparing ourselves to others or pretending to be someone we're not. Joseph Smith taught, If men do not comprehend the character of God, they do not comprehend themselves. It's just not possible to have divine poise without knowing that we are divine sons and daughters of a loving Heavenly Father. In his talk, Choices for Eternity, President Nelson taught these eternal truths about who we are. We are children of God, we are children of the covenant, and we are disciples of Christ. He then promised, quote, As you embrace these truths, our Heavenly Father will help you reach your ultimate goal of living eternally in His holy presence, end quote. We truly are divine spiritual beings having a mortal experience. Knowing who we are and being true to that divine identity are foundational to the development of Christ-like poise. Next, remembering that there is a grand plan engenders courage and poise in challenging conditions. Nephi could go and do as the Lord commanded, not knowing beforehand the things that he was to do, because he knew that he would be led by the Spirit in fulfillment of the eternal plan of a loving Heavenly Father. Poise comes when we see things from an eternal perspective. The Lord has counseled his disciples to lift up your eyes and let the solemnities of eternity rest upon your minds. By framing challenging times within an eternal plan, pressure becomes a privilege to love, serve, teach, and bless. An eternal view enables Christ-like poise. And finally, the enabling power of Christ, made possible by His atoning sacrifice, gives us the strength to endure and prevail. Because of Jesus Christ, we can covenant with God and be strengthened in keeping that covenant. We can be bound to the Savior in joy and calm, regardless of our temporal circumstances. Alma chapter 7 teaches beautifully about Christ's enabling power. In addition to redeeming us from sin, the Savior can strengthen us in our weaknesses, fears, and challenges in this life. As we focus on Christ, we can hush our fears, as Alma's people did in Helam. 
As threatening armies gathered, those faithful disciples of Christ demonstrated poise. Elder David A. Bednar has taught, quote, Alma counseled the believers to remember the Lord and the deliverance only He could bestow, and knowledge of the Savior's protecting watch care enabled the people to hush their own fears, end quote. This exemplifies poise. Noah taught us much about patience in a storm, but the Savior was the greatest teacher on how to survive a storm. He is the great man in a storm. After a long day of teaching with his apostles, the Savior needed some rest and suggested that they cross by boat to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. As the Savior rested, a severe storm arose, and the wind and waves threatened to sink the boat. The apostles began to fear for their lives. And and remember, several of those apostles were fishermen who were very well acquainted with the storms on that sea. Yet, worried, they woke the Lord and asked, Lord, carest thou not that we perish? Then, with exemplary poise, the Savior arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. And then, a great lesson in poise for his apostles. He asked, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Well, he was reminding them that he was the Savior of the world and that he was sent by the Father to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of God's children. Surely the Son of God would not perish on a boat. He exemplified divine poise because he knew of his divinity, and he knew that there was a plan of salvation and exaltation, and how essential his atonement would be to the eternal success of that plan. It is through Christ and His Atonement that all good things come into our lives. As we remember who we are, knowing that there is a divine plan of mercy, and drawing courage in the strength of the Lord, we can do all things. We will find calm. We will be good women and men in any storm. May we seek the blessings of Christ-like poise, not only to help ourselves in challenging times, but to bless others and help them through the storms in their lives. On this eve of Palm Sunday, I joyfully testify of Jesus Christ. He is risen. I testify of the peace, calm, and heavenly poise that only He brings to our lives, and do so in His holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. My father used to tell me, don't focus so intensely on your problems that you can't see the solution. I testify that the Lord Jesus Christ is the solution to even our most difficult problems. Specifically, he has overcome four problems that every one of us faces and that not one of us can solve on our own. The first problem is physical death. We can try to delay it or ignore it, but we can't overcome it on our own. Jesus Christ, however, overcame death for us, and as a consequence, we will all be resurrected one day. The second problem includes the tribulations 
difficult experiences, sadness, pain, and unfairness of this world. Jesus Christ overcame all of this. For those who strive to follow him, he will one day wipe away all tears and make things right again. In the meantime, he can strengthen us to pass through our trials with confidence, good cheer, and peace. The third problem is a spiritual death arising from sin. Jesus Christ overcame this problem by taking upon himself the chastisement of our peace. Because of his atoning sacrifice, we can be freed from the consequences of our sins if we have faith in the Savior, sincerely repent, accept the covenant the Father offers us through essential ordinances such as baptism, and endure to the end. The fourth problem is our limited, imperfect natures. Jesus Christ has the solution to this problem too. He doesn't just erase our errors and make us innocent again. He can work a mighty change in our hearts that we have no more disposition to do evil, but to do good continually. We can be perfected by the grace of Christ and one day become like him. Unfortunately, too often, we concentrate so much on our own problems that we lose focus on the solution, our Savior Jesus Christ. How do we avoid that mistake? I believe the answer lies in the covenants we are invited to make with him and our Father in heaven. Our covenants help us focus our attention, our thoughts, and our actions on Christ. As we cleave unto the covenants we have made, we can more easily identify the things of this world that we should lay aside and the things of a better world we should diligently seek. That's what the people of Ammon did in the Book of Mormon. As they learned of Jesus Christ and began to focus their lives on him, they recognized that they should bury their weapons of war and became perfectly honest and distinguished for their zeal towards God. Covenant-keeping leads us to seek after whatever invites the influence of the Spirit and reject whatever drives it away, for we know that if we can be worthy of the presence of the Holy Ghost, we can also be worthy to live in the presence of Heavenly Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. This may mean that we have to change our vocabulary using kinder words, it could mean replacing spiritually unhealthy habits with new habits that strengthen our relationship with the Lord, such as daily prayer and a scripture study individually and with our family. President Russell M. Nelson said that each person who makes covenants in baptismal fonts and in temples and keeps them has increased access to the power of Jesus Christ. The reward for keeping covenants with God is heavenly power power that strengthens us to withstand our trials, temptations, and heartaches better. Renewing our covenants during the sacrament each Sunday is a great opportunity to examine ourselves and refocus our lives on Jesus Christ. By partaking of the sacrament, we declare that we do always remember him. The word always is so significant. It extends the Savior's influence into every part of our lives. We don't remember him only at church or only during our morning prayers or only when we're in trouble and we need something. 
Yes, we sometimes get distracted, we forget, we lose our focus, but renewing our covenants means that we want to always remember the Savior, that we will try to do so throughout the week, and that we will recommit and refocus on Him again at the sacrament table next week. Clearly, focusing on Jesus Christ must be more than a Sunday at church activity. When President Nelson introduced Come Follow Me in 2018, he said, It is time for a home-centered church. He said we should transform our home into a sanctuary of faith and a center of gospel learning. And he made four wonderful promises to us if we do. The first promise, your Sabbath days will truly be a delight. It will become a day when we draw closer to our Savior. As a young woman from Peru said, the Lord's day is the day I get the most answers from the Lord. The second promise, your children will be excited to learn and to live the Savior's teachings. That is why we talk of Christ. We rejoice in Christ. We preach of Christ. That our children may know to what source they may look for a remission of their sins. We do this so that one day, when our son goes out to work, or to hike in the mountains, or to hunt beasts in the forest as Enos did, he may remember what we taught him about Christ and about the joy of living the gospel. And who knows, maybe this will be the day when he will finally feel the spiritual hunger that turns him to Jesus Christ so he can hear the voice of the Lord saying to him, Thy sins are forgiven thee, and thou shalt be blessed. The third promise, the influence of the adversary in your life and in your home will decrease. Why? Because the more we focus on Jesus Christ, the more sin loses its appeal. As our homes are filled with the Savior's light, there is less and less room for the darkness of the adversary. The fourth promise, changes in your family will be dramatic and sustaining. Why? Because the change that Jesus Christ brings is a mighty change. He changed our very natures. We become new creatures. We gradually become more like the Savior, filled with His pure love for all of God's children. Who wouldn't want these promises fulfilled in their lives and in their families? What do we need to do to obtain them? The answer is to transform our homes into a sanctuary of faith and a center of gospel learning. And how do we do that? By focusing on Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ, making them the center of our family life, the most important influence in our home. Could I suggest that you begin by making the words of Christ found in the Scriptures a daily part of your life? There is no prescribed formula for perfect scripture study. It could be five or ten minutes each day, or more if you can. It could be a chapter or a few verses a day. Some families prefer to study in the morning before they leave for school or work. Others prefer, prefer to read at night before bed. Some young couples have told me that they study individually on the way to work and then share insights with each other via text so their comments and discussions are recorded. 
Come Follow Me provides many suggestions of activities and resources that can help individuals and families learn gospel principles from the scriptures. The Bible videos and the Book of Mormon videos can also be valuable tools to make the scriptures more accessible to your family. Youth and children are often inspired by the memory stories in the scriptures. These stories and the gospel principles they teach will stay with your children like trusted friends when they need good examples of service, virtue, obedience, patience, perseverance, personal revelation, charity, humility, and faith in Jesus Christ. Over time, your consistency in feasting on the Word of God will help your children grow closer and closer to the Savior. They will come to know Him as never before. The Lord Jesus Christ lives today. He can be an active daily presence in our lives. He is the solution to our problems. But we must lift our eyes and raise our sights to see him. He has said, look unto me in every thought. Doubt not, fear not. As we focus on him and our Father in heaven, make and keep covenants with them and make them the most important influence in our home and family, we will become the kind of people President Nelson envisioned, a people who are able, ready, and worthy to receive the Lord when he comes again, a people who have already chosen Jesus Christ over this fallen world, a people who rejoice in their agency to live the higher, holier loss of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. As directed, the congregation will join the choir in singing the Easter anthem, He is Risen. After the singing, we will be pleased to hear from Elders K. Brent Natras and Juan Uceda, of the 70. This is the Saturday evening session of the 193rd Annual General Conference of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.
Several years ago, Sister Natris and I moved to Idaho, where we opened a new business. There were long days and nights at the office. Thankfully, we lived just a few blocks away from work. Each week, Shauna and our three daughters, all under the age of six, would come to the office to share lunch together. On one such day, after our family lunch, I noticed that our five-year-old daughter, Michelle, had left me a personal message written on a post-it note and attached to my office telephone. It simply read, Dad, remember to love me. Love, Michelle. This was a powerful reminder to a young father about those things that matter most. Brothers and sisters, I testify that our Heavenly Father always remembers us and that He loves us perfectly. My question is this, do we remember Him and do we love Him? Years ago, I served as a local church leader. One of our young men, Danny, was outstanding in every way. He was obedient, kind, good, and had a great heart. However, when he graduated from high school, he started to associate with a rough crowd. He got involved in drugs, specifically methamphetamine, and traveled down the slippery slope of addiction and destruction. Before long, his appearance completely changed. He was hardly recognizable. The most significant change was in his eyes. The light in his eyes had dimmed. Several times I reached out to him, but to no avail. He wasn't interested. It was difficult to see this incredible young man suffer and live a life that just was not him. He was capable of so much more. Then one day, his miracle began. He attended a sacrament meeting where his younger brother shared his testimony prior to departing for a mission. During the meeting, Danny felt something he had not felt for a long time. He felt the love of the Lord. He finally had hope. Although he had a desire to change, it was difficult for Danny. His addictions and the accompanying guilt were almost more than he could bear. One particular afternoon, when I was out mowing our lawn, Danny pulled up in his car unannounced. He was struggling terribly. I turned off the mower, and we sat down together in the shade of the front, of the front porch step. It was then that he shared the feelings of his heart. He truly wanted to come back. However, turning away from his addictions and lifestyle was extremely difficult. Adding to this, he felt so guilty, so ashamed for falling so far. He asked, Can I really be forgiven? Is there really a way back? After he poured out his heart with these concerns, we read Alma chapter 36 together. Yea, I did remember all my sins and iniquities. Yea, the very thought of coming into the presence of my God did rack my soul with inexpressible horror. After those verses, Danny said, This is exactly how I feel. We continued, 
While I was harrowed up by the memory of my many sins, behold, I remembered also to have heard my father prophesy unto the people concerning the coming of one Jesus Christ, a Son of God, to atone for the sins of the world. And oh, what joy and what marvelous light I did behold. As we read these passages, tears began to flow. Alma's joy was the joy he had been searching for. We discussed that Alma had been exceptionally wicked. However, once he repented, he never looked back. He became a devoted disciple of Jesus Christ. He became a prophet. Danny's eyes widened. A prophet, he said. I simply responded, yes, a prophet. No pressure on you. We discussed that while his sins did not rise to the level of Alma's, the same promise of complete and perfect forgiveness is made to everyone in and through the infinite atonement of Jesus Christ. Danny now understood. He knew what he needed to do. He needed to begin his journey by trusting in the Lord and forgiving himself. Danny's mighty change of heart was nothing short of a miracle. Over time, his countenance changed, and the brightness in his eyes returned. He became temple-worthy. He was finally back. After several months, I asked Danny if he would like to submit an application to serve a full-time mission. His response was one of shock and awe. He said, I would love to serve a mission, but you know where I've been and the things that I've done. I thought I was disqualified. I responded, you may be right. However, there is nothing precluding us from making a request. If you are excused, at least you will know that you expressed a sincere desire to serve the Lord. His eyes lit up. He was thrilled with this idea. To him, this was a long shot, but it was a chance he was willing to take. A few weeks later, and to his amazement, another miracle occurred. Danny received a call to serve a full-time mission. A few months after Danny arrived in the mission field, I received a telephone call. His president simply said, what is it with this young man? He is the most incredible missionary I have ever seen. You see, this president had received a modern-day Alma the Younger. Two years later, Danny returned home with honor, having served the Lord with all his heart, might, mind, and strength. Following his missionary report and sacrament meeting, I returned home, only to hear a knock at the front door. There stood Danny with tears welling in his eyes. He said, can we talk for a minute? We went outside to the same porch step. He said, President, do you think I have truly been forgiven? Now my tears accompanied his. Before me stood a devoted disciple of Jesus Christ, who had given his all to teaching and testifying about the Savior. 
He was the embodiment of the healing and strengthening power of the Savior's atonement. I said, Danny, have you looked in the mirror? Have you seen your eyes? They are filled with light, and you are beaming with the Spirit of the Lord. Of course you've been forgiven. You are amazing. Now what you need to do is move forward with your life. Don't look back. Look forward with faith to the next ordinance. Well, Danny's miracle continues today. He married in the temple and returned to school, where he received a master's degree. He has become an incredible husband and a faithful father. He is a devoted disciple of Jesus Christ. President Russell M. Nelson taught, Without the Savior's infinite atonement, all mankind would be irretrievably lost. Danny wasn't lost, and neither are we to the Lord. He stands at the door to lift us, to strengthen us, and to forgive us. He always remembers to love us. An incredible demonstration of the Savior's love for God's children is recorded in the Book of Mormon. When Jesus had thus spoken, he cast his eyes round about again on the multitude, and beheld they were in tears, and did look steadfastly upon him as if they would ask him to tarry a little longer with them. The Savior had already spent a full day ministering to the people, yet he had more to do. He was to visit his other sheep. He was to go to his father. Notwithstanding these obligations, he discerned that the people desired for him to tarry a little longer. Then, with the Savior's heart full of compassion, one of the greatest miracles in the history of the world occurred. He stayed. He blessed them. He ministered to their children one by one. He prayed for them. He wept with them, and he healed them. His promise is eternal. He will heal us. To those who have strayed from the covenant path, please know there is always hope, there is always healing, and there is always a way back. His eternal message of hope is the healing balm for all who live in a troubled world. The Savior said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Brothers and sisters, let us remember to seek him, to love him, and to always remember him. I testify that God lives and that he loves us. I further testify that Jesus Christ is the Savior and Redeemer of the world. He is the mighty healer. I know that my Redeemer lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. The Lord Jesus Christ said, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. In the Greek version of this scripture, the word for good also means beautiful, magnificent. So today, I wish to speak of the Good Shepherd 
the beautiful shepherd, the magnificent shepherd, even Jesus Christ. In the New Testament, he is called the great shepherd, the chief shepherd, and the shepherd and bishop of our souls. In the Old Testament, Isaiah wrote that he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. In the Book of Mormon, he is called the Good Shepherd and the Great and True Shepherd. In the Doctrine and Covenants, he declares, Wherefore, I am in your midst, and I am the Good Shepherd. In our day, President Nelson has declared, The Good Shepherd lovingly cares for all sheep of his fold, and we are his true under-shepherds. Our privilege is to bear his love and to add our own love to friends and neighbors, feeding, tending, and nurturing them as the Savior would have us do. More recently, President Nelson has said, a hallmark of the Lord's true and living Church will always be an organized, directed effort to minister to individual children of God and their families. Because it is his church, we as his servants will minister to the one just as he did. We will minister in his name with his power and authority and with his loving kindness. Close quote. When the Pharisees and scribes murmured against the Lord, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them, he responded by presenting three beautiful stories that we have come to know as the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the prodigal son. It's interesting to note that when Luke, the gospel writer, is introducing the three stories, he uses the word parable in the singular, not in the plural. Hmm. It appears that the Lord is teaching one unique lesson with three stories, stories that present different numbers, 100 sheep, 10 coins, and two sons. The key number in each of these stories, however, is the number one. And a lesson we might take from that number is that you might be an under-shepherd for 100 elders and prospective elders in your elders' quorum, or an advice to 10 young women, or a teacher to two primary children. But you always, always minister to them, care for them, and love them one by one, individually. You never say, what a foolish sheep, or, after all, I do not really need that coin. Or, what a rebellious son he is. If you and I have with us the pure love of Christ, we, as the man in the story of the lost sheep, will leave the ninety and nine and go after that which is lost until, until, until we find it. Or, as the woman in the story of the last coin, we will light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently, diligently, till, 
till, till we find it. If we have with us the pure love of Christ, we will follow the example of the father in the story of the prodigal son, who when the son was yet a great way off, he saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Can we feel the urgency in the heart of the man who lost only one sheep or the urgency in the heart of the woman who lost just one coin or the ineffable love and compassion in the heart of the prodigal's father? My wife, Maria Isabel, and I serve in Central America, been stationed in Guatemala City. There I had the opportunity to meet Julia, a faithful member of the Church. I had the impression to ask her about her family. Her mother died of cancer in 2011. Her father had been a faithful leader in his stake, serving as a bishop and as a counselor to his stake president for several years. He was a true under-shepherd of the Lord. Julia told me of his tireless efforts to visit, to minister, and to serve. He, indeed, rejoiced in feeding and tending the precious sheep of the Lord. He remarried and stayed active in the Church. A few years later, he went through a divorce, and now he had to attend Church alone once again. He felt out of place and also felt that some people were critical of him because of his divorce. He stopped attending church as a negative spirit filled his heart. Julia spoke highly of this wonderful under-shepherd who was a hard-working, loving, and compassionate man. I vividly remember that a feeling of urgency came to me as she was describing him. I just wanted to do something for that man, a man that had done so much for so many throughout those years. She gave me his cell phone number, and I began calling him, hoping to have the chance to meet with him personally. After several weeks and many, many phone calls without success, one day he finally answered the phone. I told him that I had met Julia, his daughter, and that I was captivated by the way he had served, ministered, and loved the precious sheep of the Lord for so many years. He was not expecting a comment like that. I told him that I really wanted to visit with him eye to eye, face to face. He asked me my purpose in proposing such a meeting. I replied, I really want to meet the father of such a wonderful lady. Then, for a few seconds, there was silence over the phone. A few seconds that seemed to me like an eternity. He simply said, when and where. The day I met him, 
I invited him to share with me some of his experiences visiting, ministering, and serving the precious sheep of the Lord. As he was recounting some touching stories, I noticed that the tone of his voice changed and the same spirit, the same spirit he had felt so many times as an under-shepherd came back. Now his eyes were filled with tears. I knew this was the right moment for me, but I found that I didn't know what to say. I prayed in my mind, Father, help me. Suddenly, I heard myself, myself saying, Brother Florian, as a servant of the Lord, I apologize for our not being there for you. Please forgive us. Give us another chance to show you that we do love you, that we need you, that you are important to us. The following Sunday, he was back. He had a long conversation with his bishop and remained active. A few months later, he passed away, but he had come back. He had come back. I testify that with our Savior's help, we can love his precious sheep and minister to them as he would. And so, there in Guatemala City, the Lord Jesus Christ brought back one more precious sheep into his fold, and he taught me a lesson on ministering that I cannot forget. In the name of the Good Shepherd, the beautiful Shepherd, the magnificent Shepherd, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We are grateful to those who have spoken to us so inspiring this evening and to the Institute Choir for the beautiful music they have provided. The choir will close this meeting by singing More Holiness Give Me. The benediction will then be offered by Sister Kay Annette Dennis who serves as first counselor in the Relief Society General Presidency.
Our dear beloved Father in Heaven, at the close of this beautiful General Conference session, we are so grateful for the messages of inspiration and instruction we have received today. We are so grateful for prophets, apostles, and other inspired leaders, and pray Thy continued blessing upon them and upon their families. We are grateful for all those who have listened today throughout the world. We pray a blessing upon them of strength, of comfort, of peace and protection as they walk the path of discipleship. We pray for our rising generation, the children and youth and young adults of the Church, that Thou would strengthen them and help them know Thy Son and help them to receive the strength that He can offer. We are so very grateful for our beloved Savior for His infinite atoning sacrifice and for the healing and hope that it offers us. Please bless us that we can put Him at the center of everything we do and that we can follow His example of love, of service, and of obedience to Thee. We love Thee, dear Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. This has been a broadcast of the Saturday evening session of the 193rd Annual General Conference of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Speakers were selected from leaders of the Church. Music for this session was provided by a combined choir of students from the Logan, Utah Institute of Religion. This broadcast has been furnished as a public service by Bonneville Distribution. Any reproduction, recording, transcription, or other use of this program without written consent is prohibited. <laughs>